0: Insurgent day traders target hedge funds and drive up the stock price of GameStop, AMC, and others. In this, the latest chapter of speculative capitalism, what is this phenomena and where is it going? We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality. There's no denying it. Capitalism is in crisis and capitalism is the crisis. We are joined by Professor Richard Wolff, who talks to us as part of a regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories relating to the economy. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The System is the Sickness. When capitalism fails to save us from the pandemics, from pandemics or itself, be sure to check out his work at rdwolf.com. And rdwolf is spelled r-d-w-o-l-f-f.com.
1: Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: I was looking uh, earlier before this show about what's happening to GameStop and AMC. Uh, As of yesterday, their their stock values began to, well, plummet. Uh, It's been kind of an up and down. Uh, GameStop had surged by more than 2,000% in the month of January, leading to massive losses for some hedge funds like Melvin Capital, uh, which lost 53% for the month. Uh, The activity spread to another stock favored by what are known as the Reddit traders. Uh, private traders or home traders. Uh, this was uh, a stock. The stock for AMC Entertainment, the movie theater chain, had fallen again uh, on Tuesday, at least by midday, by you know almost half, maybe more than half. Anyway, what's going on? Let's talk about this speculative sort of insurgency in one level, and let's place it in the context of where we are in the capitalist cycle, and what it says about capitalism itself?
1: Well, it says a number of things. Uh, What the internet has made possible has now uh, come to fruition in a public way. It may well have happened already privately without it creating quite the fuss that brought it to public attention. But what is happening is that Reddit and other mechanisms of communication are allowing people who normally are marginal to the stock market to get themselves together to coordinate their decisions to buy and to sell uh, stocks. And when average people get coordinated, they can have the same kinds of impact on the movements of stock prices that normally were only exercised by the huge brokerage houses, the big banks, um, the companies that specialize in collecting money, usually from the rich, uh, to manipulate the stock market. That has been going on for as long as there have been stock markets. Uh, The minute you have a place where people buy and sell ownership shares in companies, you're going to very quickly have people uh, who come in and to manipulate that market to make money by the ups and downs of stocks independent of what may be going on in the companies that those stocks give you technically ownership of. And it it confuses everybody. It means that only people that are really involved day to day in watching how these stocks go up and down will be able to play that game. Uh, And as a result, you have specialist firms. If you're rich, you give some of your money to those specialist firms. Uh, they have various names, investment banks, regular banks, hedge funds, um, capital funds, venture funds, all kinds of uh, people play this game. But it's a very small community that hone in on the markets and play them in the literal sense of playing around with their ups and downs in order to make a buck by buying at this price and boosting it a little bit um, and making the price go up and then selling uh, at the higher price and making the difference uh, between them. In the old days, 100, 200 years ago, you saw that all the time when people would uh, do some publicity to make some noise about a particular company or a whole industry, get everybody excited by having nicely placed newspaper stories or magazine articles, and that would get people to buy the shares so that the folks who made the publicity bought the shares before they made the publicity, then watched the publicity drive the price of the shares up and then sold at the higher price, leaving the gullible public who bought at the rising price suddenly stuck with the collapse of that price when it turns out that the newspaper article was a fake, that the magazine article uh, exaggerated what was going on, and then the price of the stock would flop. Uh, And that's what you're seeing now. You're seeing it with GameStop. You're seeing it with AMC. You're going to be seeing it with others because there's a new player entering this hustle game. Not just the old hedge funds and banks and brokerage houses, but a new coordination of little guys, men and women, who are getting together, in this case through Reddit, to do the manipulation of the market uh, that has always been there, but now a new player uh, flexing his or her muscles uh, to play that game. There's a deep lesson here, though, that people should understand the stock market is a gambling house. It always was. Part of it is rooted in what's happening in the regular economy. Part of it is about how well companies are doing or not doing. That's still part of it. But another part of it, and which sometimes can be the dominant part, is the hustler, the gambler, the manipulator who comes in to make money off of the ability to manipulate stocks sharply up, sharply down. And there's ways to make money both on the upturn and the downturn. And that's what you're watching here. What the lesson should be that if you hear an economist, and unfortunately you will, telling you that the stock market is some wonderful intervention or invention or institution that shows how efficient capitalism is, you should smirk Because what you're seeing is a stark illustration that what goes on in the stock market has some relationship to what's going on in the underlying economy, but can easily be manipulated to depart from that underlying relationship as people make money off the gyrations and people who do not know the details cannot spend the time and energy to follow it risk investing their savings and having them wiped out it happens all the time.
0: Richard, I there there's a number of elements of this story that I want to explore with you. And again for our audience which is following this because it's now big news in the in the general media not simply in the financial pages. The idea that there's an insurgent, you know, little guy Army of investors who, by working together and in concert, can overcome some of the earlier manipulations of the big money. Uh, and the big money, meaning in the hedge funds, uh, they were betting they were they were betting uh, that gamestop, a, a a brick and mortar retail store was because brick and mortar is going down and being replaced by commerce on the internet that its value would eventually lose. And they were they were betting that it would they were betting that it would fail basically, and that's what a short bet is. in other words, if you think about the stock market as you're putting it as a as a casino as a gambling place, then uh, those who bet who make a bet who actually make a bet that a, f- a stock will fail if the stock goes up instead of going down, then they're stuck with the with the short bet and they have to cover it and they have to they've already been paying interest on the short bet and consequently they can lose billions of dollars which they did like Melvin Capital overnight and you know there's an element of like from the masses a, a, an element of revenge because so many people as a consequence of this kind of gambling and grifting on the part of the hedge funds and the banks sunk the economy in 2008, nine and nine million families went into foreclosure, three million actually lost their homes. There's a sense of, of satisfaction, at least in the beginning, uh, even though because they're playing the games of the stock market and the games of the casino, in the end, perhaps the house always does win. Uh, but I want to try to have for our our audience that doesn't play the stock market, it's not familiar with the lingo. What does it mean to short a stock? How does it actually work?
1: Okay, I will answer your question, but just a caveat before, the number of people doing this through that Reddit uh, web uh, arrangement is still a tiny, tiny minority of the American people. Uh, This is not some broad general uprising of the little guy. That's a romanticized notion. These are pe- The people playing this game are people who have some discretionary money, who are used to the way the stock market works. They've been following it. True, they're not a big bank. They're not a big hedge fund. They're little in relationship to them. But in turn, they are a very small part of our population. Uh, The vast majority of people may find this a a fun spectacle, but they are not participants. Okay, having said that, a short is really quite simple uh, as a game. Here's the way it works. I think a stock is going to go down, perhaps GameStop, because uh, brick-and-mortar stores are are not being visited by people because of COVID, etc., etc., and so their business is going to die um, and so you think, think to yourself, let's say their shares are worth twenty dollars a share. That this is a company that's on the way out. It's going to go down to fifteen dollars, and ten, and five. So here's what you do if you believe that the share price is going to go down. You borrow the shares. You can do that. You can go into the stock market and you borrow the shares. So let's say you borrow a thousand shares of GameStop today when it's $20 a share and you expect it to go down. You pay a person to borrow their shares. That's how this is done. That's the attractiveness of the person who owns the shares. That person can lend them to you. Uh, You pay them a fee for that and they promise and they are legally bound to return those thousand shares to you let's say 3 months from now or some set period and here's what you do you buy, you give that fee to that person you get the shares lent to you you then immediately sell them and you you've sold you've uh, sold the shares you borrowed, and you've earned $20,000. You've sold the 1,000 shares you borrowed at the then price of to $20 a share. You hope that the shares over the next three months drop, let's say, to make it simple, to $10. That's what you're betting on. You then, at the end of three months, you take uh, 10000 of the 20 you got when you borrowed them, And sold them. You take 10,000, buy back a thousand shares at $10 a share, give them back to the person from whom you've borrowed them. And the other 10,000, the difference between what you got when you sold the borrowed shares and when you give them back is yours to keep. You've paid a trivial fee, let's say three or four hundred dollars. And in three months, you've made 10,000. That's a very attractive proposition, which is why people do that all the time. It's called shorting the stock, but it's just a shorthand for saying you've gone through this borrowing, holding for a period of time, and then returning the shares, having sold them at the high price when you borrowed them, and having bought them back when you return them to the person you borrowed them from and having been able to do that at a lower price. You will, of course, be frustrated if the price doesn't go down. If you bet, but you were wrong, that either the economy changed or that particular company had a breakthrough, if the price goes up, then you will lose your shirt because you'll have to pay the higher price At the end of three months to buy the thousand shares to return to the person you you borrowed from Melvin Capital, the company you mentioned, was caught that way. They had borrowed huge millions of shares and now they had to buy them back at a higher price than they had sold them for and so they were out all that money, it basically bankrupt that firm, and it shows you that if you bet wrong, you can be as badly whacked as you can gain if you bet right. I should mention that this has been going on a long time. Companies have wiped each other out by playing opposite sides of this game. I can destroy a company if I'm a big enough player by pushing up the Price of something I know they have shorted, and this kind of thing has been done among the big players. Again, the only difference is that a relatively uh, more modestly endowed group of our citizens, still a tiny minority, have gotten in on the game and have made a bundle by understanding how it's played.
0: Richard uh, Marx, uh, Karl Marx, in uh, critique of political economy. Uh, and also, I believe in the third volume of capital uh contrasts what he calls fictitious capital with real capital um, and the 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 market value of uh, fictitious capital assets such as stocks and securities uh varies according to the you know the expected or perceived or anticipated. Return or yield of those assets in the future. That's a kind. That's one way in which money is made or lost. So through fictitious capital, and then there's the real capital where you know a capitalist brings workers together under a single roof uh, historically, and uh, purchases machinery and raw materials and puts the workers to work uh, at a wage. And by you know bringing human labor together with raw materials and machinery, say sort of the congealed or earlier existing human labor, they uh, a product is created, and then a product or a commodity is sold, and it's sold at a at a value which is determined by the general or average price of commodities. It can't be just a arbitrarily determined price because it won't be competitive otherwise. And, and the profit is gained, but the profit itself is derived not at the point of sale. It may be realized at the point of sale, but it's really derived because workers who are employed are paid less in the form of wages than the value that their human labor creates by the application of human labor with raw materials, with machines to create new commodities, which then are sold. So so we're, we're talking about fictitious capital versus real capital, different ways in which capitalists make money. And we can see if we're talking about Marx, he's writing Critique of Political Economy in 1859 or Capital. The first volume comes out, I think, in 1864. So a long time ago, 150 years ago, but this phenomena of money making through these two different uh, sort of mechanisms, fictitious capital versus real capital, still with us. Ha- have the the roles or the role of fictitious capital versus real capital has it shifted with with modern economy? Obviously, in the hundred years since you know capital was written and
1: and beyond. Well, I think there are two issues here that we should keep separate. One is that Yes, the core of capitalism has been uh, the production of goods and services, uh, hiring workers, putting them to work, selling the output, uh, giving part of the revenue back to the workers so they keep working and keeping the rest for the entrepreneur who sets the business up or runs it. Uh, That we all understand. But that very system that emerged out of feudalism quickly discovered that as as you grow your business, as you succeed, as you outcompete others and you become larger, you need larger and larger amounts of money uh, to buy your inputs at an advantageous price, uh, to hire workers and keep them working, even if you have a slack period. And so what you need is money. You need access to money. You need to be able to go to a bank and borrow. You need to be able to go to a stock market and give these people pieces of ownership in exchange for the money that you need to grow your business. So it is a natural, logical outgrowth of the quote-unquote real side of capitalism to have this financial side or if you like, this fictitious side. There's a temptation, however, to think that it, because we're not doing the production of goods and services in finance, that somehow it's not as important or not as crucial. That's not correct. It is just as important and just as crucial because the production of goods and services is now dependent in all sorts of ways on what we call capital markets, or banking, or finance, or fictitious, if you like, capital. They're different. They make their money in different ways. and I don't want to lose that difference. But the difference is not more or less important. The system is one system. They depend on each other, the finance and the others. Having said that, yes, over recent decades particularly, finance has grown. And the the basic reason for this, and it's really important that people understand this, the basic reason is that there were changes in the real economy that made it become more dependent on the financial side. And chief among the causes were the stagnation of wages, particularly in the United States, but in the capitalist world generally. As you brought into modern capitalism the billions, with a B, the billions of workers that had been kept out of modern capitalism inside the Soviet Union, inside the People's Republic of China, inside Eastern Europe, as all that changed at the end of the 20th century and all of these working class people became accessible to the capitalists of the West as they moved production into those parts of the world, as they took advantage of the collapse of their uh, older systems. What you had was that there were too many workers looking for work, basically, globally. And capitalists were able to take advantage of that and not pay them rising wages as had been the case in the United States and Western Europe for the century before that. And now here comes the punchline. If you don't pay workers rising wages, and we haven't now in the Western capitalist world for over 30 years, basically, but you, till, you still tell these workers that they are lucky to be in capitalism, that they should enjoy rising standards of living, what you do is create an impossible situation. Everybody wants send their kid to college. Everybody wants their own home, their own car, all of the things that relentless advertising provokes, but they're not given the rising wages to afford it. And now here comes the punchline. The solution to that contradiction was to extend finance beyond the world of business into the world of the worker. Consumer credit, if you like. Lending you for your home, a mortgage. Lending you for your car, car payments. Lending you for your credit card. Now lending you for your college education for your children. Suddenly, the mass of workers who had been excluded from the world of finance, who lived by earning a wage and spending it, end of story, was converted into a massive dependence on capital markets, where the interest rate on your mortgage, your car payments, your credit card, your student loan become crucial shapers of your behavior. What you can buy, when you can buy, what you can save, when you can save, all of these real aspects of your life become dependent on the world of finance. So, yes, it has become relatively more important, but we still have an interdependence between the so-called financial or fictitious part of the capitalist system and the production of goods and services. That that interdependence and it's a mutual interdependence is absolutely still. Very much with us.
0: Richard, as uh, our time is winding down, it goes so fast. I, I want to move in, as we close up into this the issue of, of bubbles. Uh, again, a sort of euphemistic language that maybe a lot of people don't actually understand. Uh, there's like GameStop is, has obviously been a bubble in terms of its artificially raised uh, price. And like most bubbles, or all bubbles, they finally bust uh, when they get too big. And you mentioned that this phenomenon of people uh, trying to buy at some stage of uh, of a process and being, you know, promised lucrative returns, and then eventually, you know, at some point, the system can't deliver. Uh, how that impacts people's psychology? Uh, the bubble itself creates the impression maybe Alan Greenspan said the irrational exuberance of investment into risk. But a lot of people I know, including dear friends of mine were buying houses in, in September, uh, August, September 2007 at, at prices that were beyond what they could actually pay. But the realtors and the bankers were telling them, don't worry if you, if you can't really, if this doesn't succeed for you after a year or two, you can always sell. And because prices of houses are are going up and up and up, even if you can't make it, you can sell it and and minimally you won't lose anything and and probably you'll make something. And then the bubble burst and the prices of of houses suddenly precipitously uh, declined in such a dynamic way that millions of people, one, couldn't pay their mortgage and couldn't sell the house because nobody uh, could buy them. And also credit, which seemed to be so available, sort of went out. I mean, no banks weren't lending to anybody uh, unless you were super, super rich, uh, and and thus this big part of the of society was was bankrupted overnight. Uh, for black homeowners, it was uh, most disproportionately devastating. Uh, wealth in Black families was really like 95 percent was wiped out because so-called wealth, which is just another word for savings, was already you know located within someone's home, the the actual existing house that people in many cases could no longer afford. Especially if they couldn't, if they lost their job, then they didn't have an income to continue to pay the mortgage and its high interest rates. Anyway. Uh, another bubble. I mean, are we is is the bubble element something new? Is it new in the sense that it's more pronounced? Where are we? Uh, not just simply in this particular business cycle, but when you look at the trajectory of capitalism and the creation of a dot com bubble, then a housing bubble, now these other speculative bubbles. What does it mean?
1: Bubbles have been part of capitalism from the beginning. They have been a very troubling part. Typically, a bubble simply means that the price of something becomes bid up by uh, manipulators of the market, by people who honestly believe that this is a great investment to make in the way you just described folks uh, thinking about their homes uh, back uh, 10 or 12 years ago. Um, these bubbles are a feature of capitalism. They happen over and over again. One of the most famous ones that historians point to was a decision that the world would be transformed as the Dutch tulip business back in the 1720s, long time ago, centuries ago. uh, People started investing in tulip Farms and buying tulips, which the bulbs could be sent around the world and they were beautiful, and they would be a everybody in the world would plant a garden with tulips, etc., etc. And the price of tulips went crazy, uh, lasted for a while. A lot of people made a lot of money as the price zoomed up, and then something happened to the bubble burst. And we've had these bubbles in uh, things like tulips, we've had them in gold, in silver, in, in rare earths, in you name it, there's been a bubble in it. Stock market became a perfect place for this kind of bidding of the price to go up and create. we've had stock market bubbles. Every time a bubble happens, a debate immediately starts. Is this going to be a bubble, in which case I shouldn't get near it, or is this time it's going to be different? Or even if it isn't different, it's got a long way to go before it bursts, and I can get in, ride it up, and get out in time before the bubble brings it all down. These ideas bring people in who therefore make the bubble happen, and they, of course, bring in people who stay too long and then get wiped out. Uh, my guess is, I don't know for a fact, but my guess is that the, the people who played the, the GameStop bubble rising up. We're convinced that could stay in a little longer, that nobody would come and me- mess up the game. But there's always something which brings it all to an end because the price is so clearly gotten out of whack with any underlying reality. Uh, you can always see it Monday morning when you look back. you got 2020 vision. But the name of the game is always making money on the way up when you can't see into an uncertain future. But the, the catastrophe of this each time is that millions often of people are either thrown out of work or lose their savings. Banks go belly up. Companies default on their obligations to other companies. The damage can be enormous. But if you're going to have a capitalist system, It's like with the periodic business cycle crash. Bubbles and burst bubbles are part of what you get with that system. It's simply important to remember that capitalism has at least as many burdens of this size as it brings blessings, which is why always the critique of the socialists that were smart was not that capitalism has nothing to offer. It was always... We can do better in the sense we can hold on to what capitalism achieved and get rid of all the negatives that capitalism has always brought with it.
0: Very, very important point. And, and when we think about the evils, I, I had done some reading some time ago about the tulip mania and the tulip <laughs> crash in the Netherlands and uh, to, to overcome their immense losses when the bubble burst. Uh, it accelerated the Dutch elite's entrance into the African slave trade as a way to, to compensate, uh, showing the, the evils of capitalism and its problems uh, can't be overcome by looking for another stage of capital investment that will be better or more humane or less evil or less dangerous. But we, in fact, need to look for a different system. Richard Wolff, will give you the last word. 30 seconds left.
1: Well, I think, you know, what we're seeing is, in my judgment, a period of decline of capitalism. And what that means is, in my judgment, capitalism has abandoned the United States. The biggest corporations led the way and continue to do it right now. Uh, They're moving to China, India, Brazil, it's more profitable, the wages are lower, they can make a ton of money. That's where they're going. The United States is being left behind. And when you are in a decline, the negative aspects of capitalism begin to become more pronounced and the positive ones fewer. I think that's what we're experiencing.
0: That was Professor Richard Wolf. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He is the author of many books, the latest being The System Is The Sickness When Capitalism Fails To Save Us From Pandemics Or Itself. Check out his work at rdwolf.com that's r d w o l f c o m. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker.